welcome to the second season of Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each week I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. My guest today is Ella Rose Cherry. Ella Rose is a writer whose musicals include Cotton Candy and Cocaine and TLDR Thelma Louise Dyke Remix. She was a 2015-2016 Dramatist Guild Fellow and is an alum of Ars Nova's Uncharted Residency and the Civilians R&D Group. She holds a BA from Brown University and an MFA from NYU's Graduate Musical Theater Writing Program. We're going to talk today about the formation of white and white Jewish identity in America, as well as the racial history of America constructed through musical theater. Let's uh, get started with our get to know our guest questions. What was your first experience with a musical? I don't know that I really remember my first experience with a musical. I feel like musicals have always been a part of my life. My family all loves musical theater. My mom listened to cast albums and introduced me to musical theater. My grandma introduced her to musical theater. My dad is a fan of musical theater. But the really first prominent memory I have is of uh, cassette tapes with audio recordings of song, like musical theater songs on them. Um, I'm from a place, I'm from Gary, Indiana, which is very musical theater appropriate. <laughs> uh, but I, I did, you know, I didn't have access to New York. I didn't really go see shows on Broadway or anything like that, but I would listen to the tapes. And I had this tape that was a compilation for children of songs from musicals that I listened to all the time. And uh, it was uh, the songs on it that I remember really strongly liking and listening to a lot were the songs from Oliver, Consider Yourself, and I'd Do Anything. So I would learn songs by heart and be able to sing them. And when I was probably seven or eight, uh, we went to Chicago to see a touring production of The Secret Garden. And there was a moment where the actress playing Mary was in a pool of light on stage. And I sort of remember leaning forward and seeing this girl who, in my mind, was about my age on stage in a pool of light and just feeling like that's my thing. That's what I want. I want that, whatever that is. I want to be a part of it. What is the last great musical you saw? The last thing that I saw and thought was great in a colloquial way and that really moved me and made me think about the power of musical theater was Timothy Wong's American Morning uh, produced by Prospect Theater. It was a workshop production. I really feel like what Tim did with that show is the best of what musical theater can be. It's a story about people who are in all of our lives in New York City who we are trained and taught and conditioned not to see or think about their lives as being as rich or intricate as our own. Mm -hmm. It sort of helps the city function for us to forget people's experiences as being as complicated as our own. And also, um, we, we live in a moment where we are being taught to other immigrants and that's the entire narrative that's going on right now. For Tim to have written this musical that humanizes a group of people who are being dehumanized, that 
complicates the lives of folks who we are taught to see through one lens and it just has a really tight story that's you know that's engaging that doesn't let you down and that um has a score that it serves what he's doing it has mm-hmm. fun tunes it's written in the style of what the piece is it knows the whole piece knows what it is and what it's trying to do and it does it yeah. and to me that's a great musical for those who who didn't get to see it the premise is it's chinese immigrants right yeah it's about two chinese immigrants who end up in a situation where they are sharing it's based on a real story right I think, and they're sharing a taxi cab and one of them is driving at night and one of them is driving during the day right. and so they're they doing live this together. Yeah. they're doing this to never be not making money to never so that one there one of them can always be working and they're right. both saving they're working so hard because they have these family goals mm-hmm. um, that they're trying to achieve and it sort of follows their right. paths and as their paths diverge and what brings them together and there's a reporter who is a uh, who's not who's a first generation so his mm-hmm. parents are immigrants, I believe, but he yeah. himself is not, right, and right, right. he is trying to track what happened because mm-hmm. if something goes terribly wrong, and mm-hmm. he's trying to track what happened, right. and his position kind of comes in to the story as well, and it's this, but it's this uh, story about working people, it's a story mm-hmm. about a community, it's a story about friendship, and it's a story about what these conditions of New York City making us work so hard, mm-hmm. kind of the fallout of that and the implications of that. Right. And also that sort of American success story, who is that available to, how does that happen, what does it mean to get lucky in mm-hmm. America, um, how much of it is luck, how much the hard work myth is a hard work, is a myth, and especially for certain groups of people and certainly what, uh, and all of those things, and it... it but it's also just a good story with good songs that yeah. just moves. I think that most musicals that are great do both of these things, and it depends on where you fall with it, but it's they show you the experience of others in a way that allows you to understand that people who are you are taught to be different from you are actually exactly the same as you. And then the right. other thing that makes a musical great in it is that it shows you that you matter by seeing yourself reflected. And mm-hmm. I think a great musical does both of those things depending on who you are. What older or classic show did you recently see for the first time, and what was your experience with it? I'm going to cheat on this one because I haven't actually seen it yet, Mm -hmm. but um, Promenade is a musical that I was not familiar with until very recently, Mm -hmm. and they're doing it at City Center Encores Off Center this summer in July. It's Maria Irene Fornes. Mm I just recently read it and listened to the mm-hmm. score, oh, nice. so I didn't see it, but I encountered it. And then I also just saw the brilliant Fornes documentary, The Rest uh, I Make Up. And The Rest I Make Up is a, a lyric from the mm-hmm. from the show, oh. and it's uh, and there's some pieces of that musical that are present in the documentary, which is very brilliant. And it's like very queer and very feminist and very mm-hmm. political. Always excited when I discover weird musicals by women that I yeah. didn't know existed. Um, yeah. Or any musicals by women <laughs> that I didn't know existed. Yep. And certainly women of color. I mean, it's just a great. And the geniuses of the American theater to discover someone whose work you're already a fan of right. as a playwright. And to they then wrote a musical. Be like, oh, that playwright wrote a musical? Yeah. The That's music cool. is by uh, Al Carmines. Yeah. Yeah. Um, from 19, it's from 1965.
What's a musical people might be surprised to find out you love, and why would they be surprised? Well, given everything that we've just said, uh, it, I think it's a little bit surprising that two of my favorite musicals of all time, although maybe when we're talking about my childhood, it's not as surprising, two of my favorite musicals of all time are Camelot and Damn Yankees. I will say that probably part of the reason that I like Camelot, and we're talking about songs that I memorized as a child, the Guinevere song from Camelot, that's the second song in Camelot where she says, I won't be bidden bargain for, like beads from a bazaar, <laughs> uh, is sort of, it's a little bit feminist, mm-hmm. maybe. The part where she's like, I mean, the whole part where she's like, well, kin not kill their kin for me is a whole other mm-hmm. kith, kin not kill their kith for me, whatever that lyric is. Like, that's a whole other like level of not feminism where she's like, I want men to fight for me. But she runs away and she prays. She sings a song and she says, I'm running away. I'm not going to be sold off into marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like a little spark of that there. Yeah. And I don't know. I was, I'm obsessed with baseball. I was always obsessed with baseball. When I was a kid, I was obsessed with baseball. I was going to be the first woman professional baseball player. That was mm-hmm. my... That was my career aspiration for quite some time. I mean, there's some great songs. Gotta Have Heart was my anthem mm-hmm. when I was a child. Also, Little Brain's Little Talent is a great, mm-hmm. great song. All the ones that people are like, this is my favorite song, like Lola Wants. Uh, that's fine. That's a great song. Yeah. But, like, I liked the kind of off-brand songs. Oh, I mean, my favorite song in it is Six Months Out of Every Year. Oh, my year. gosh. What a great song. So, yeah. yeah. That's a great song. <laughs> when people are, like, listing baseball songs, yeah. you know, and they're like, the best song from Damn Yankees about sports. You gotta have heart. And I'm like, no. no. Six months the out best of every year. song about baseball in Damn Yankees is six months out of every year. A topic is the formation of white and white Jewish identity in America in relation to blackness via musical theater and the racial history of America constructed through musical theater. Yeah, that's a mouthful. I think it's <laughs> right. That's a lot. I think it's really important to point out that the reason I'm interested in this mm-hmm. is, I mean, I'm, I'm very obsessed with this. I think about this yeah. all the time, and it's I think about it as a white person think, right. and as a white Jewish person, and thinking about my identity in America, yeah. and the privileges that I benefit from. I just think a lot about our responsibility as white people, mm-hmm. and I do think this is connected to what I learned. I'm not a religious Jewish person, but mm-hmm. my Jewish upbringing to some extent informed like my quote-unquote what I would call Jewish values informing my um, thinking about my relationship to the marginalization of others right how I am marginalized but also how I am not marginalized Mm -hmm. despite being Jewish and at times the way in which Judaism has you know historically been a huge marker of marginalization that in my lifetime really fortunately mm-hmm. to be white and Ashkenazi Jew yeah. from Eastern European Jewish immigrants of many generations past that, yeah. that has allowed me to not suffer in the way that my ancestors have but then right. also what is my responsibility as a white person in America who grew up on the narrative that we are, our job is to heal the world yeah. our job is to do the work even if we don't finish it. Our job mm-hmm. is to uh, to consider our own oppression in the context of the oppression of others. And so that is all why I think about this. And I think that that like, is particularly connected to the musical because of how Jewish musical theater is historically yeah. and then also how important musical theater is to... Uh, like black folks mm-hmm. historically in terms of the the 
for the same reason at a starting point, which is that mm -hmm. at a time when this industry was a thing that was one of the only available social mobility or economic mobility agents mm -hmm. for marginalized folks, like that if there was anywhere, I mean, it makes me think of the Hattie McDaniel quote, I'd rather, you know, play a maid than be a maid in real life. Like right. Being a maid in, tele, uh, in the movies is a, pays better than being a maid in real life. And right. so, um, and then I'm just thinking of the, the lyric about, I can't think of that without thinking about the lyric uh, from Bring the Noise, Bring the Funk, mm -hmm. where they sing that. <laughs> oh, yeah. And they're sort of examining that in a musical, right? Mm -hmm. So that, but that's kind of my point, is that, yeah. like, there's that statement, there's that history, and then there's actually, like, a musical theater lyric that is talking about that right. in a musical from the 1990s. And so that sort of encompasses for me, like, why it's important and why it's something that I think about or can speak to or should speak to. There's, like, a rich history of black... Uh, folks experience in musical theater and black folks contribution to musical theater yes. and that's not necessarily a thing that I am an expert on or something that I ought to that's mm -hmm. not like what I'm you know looking right. to necessarily be the person to talk about that I'm more interested in being the person to talk about how we as white people consider that history mm -hmm. and what responsibility we have in the framing of the right. past and what responsibility we have in what that framing of the past has brought us to now. If we think about the ways in which musical theater has contributed as a cultural form to the construction of white supremacy, because mm -hmm. culture is a huge part of building white supremacy, right. then how can we, as white people who are making musicals, participate in the deconstruction of white supremacy, right? right? Like, what is, what is our job and what is right. our role and how can we what can we offer to that thing that needs to happen like white supremacy is a thing that is created through a lot of avenues but certainly one of them is pop culture mm -hmm. and that's the sort of populism aspect of it too is like musical theater has some strains of pop culture now and certainly in the past yeah and so what does it mean and pop culture creates this environment so that's kind of that's kind of what I think about all of this and I think that yeah. part of it is getting out of the way mm -hmm. to say our voices have been heard a lot from and there's and so how do we make space for other voices and I think that right. that's an important part of it but I also think that if you make something that is bad or problematic <laughs> not the musicals are bad but like if you make a problematic white supremacist society yeah the you can't be like the only way to fix that is to now stop and wash your hands of it and be like I'm not gonna Mm -hmm. I, like you you fix it now like I'm right. just gonna give you space to fix this person who I've like you know a group that I have created this mess with and then I in and pretend like that you wouldn't still benefit from it like mm -hmm. you have to be active right in your deconstruction and how do I use this thing that I feel in my bones as we discussed from my child like this thing that I feel is just like such a part of me to think about a deconstruction of something that's so clearly constructed yeah and the thing that I think about with the clear construction, I mean, this is where we kind of talk about, like, with the jazz singer. Mm -hmm. The reason is, like, this it's this moment where, like, so the jazz singer is this movie from the 1920s with Al Jolson, who is Jewish. Right. And it is known primarily as being the first, quote-unquote, talkie. Right. It's the first movie where there was not an accompanying piano. And I don't know if that's exactly true but it has this reputation I think it's like ha like 
Yeah, I think I saw it once, or yeah. some of it once, and it's like, it's like a silent film except when he's singing. singing. Right. And that was like the first instance of it, but I don't think it's a completely right. A complete like. It is a silent yeah. film with with live with singing that is like recorded singing coming from the film and it was the first right. time that that technology was employed and that technology is why it's such a remembered as such a seminal moment mm-hmm. but there's this whole other thing about it that's super important <laughs> because it was so known because of the technology right. because it's this seminal moment in the wedding of like musicals and uh, musicals on Broadway and theater mm-hmm. and Hollywood and this new you know ushering in of cinema and, and, and movies being connected to the theater because suddenly if you can hear people singing then it, movies become a totally different tool for right. music for, in their relationship to Broadway and musical theater which at the time is this really strong important part of pop culture right and what he does what this movie is about the thing that the movie's about is the thing that's important, which is that Al Jolson is the son of a cantor, like a very religious singer. Yeah. And his father dies, and he wants to sing in vaudeville. And he leaves the synagogue and the temple to, like, singing these, like, songs for God to go sing in vaudeville. Right. And when he goes to sing in vaudeville, he sings in blackface. Yeah, and he I remember. Sings, <laughs> and he sings this, hor- this horrible minstrel song yes. in blackface, and he blacks up. He puts on the cork, yeah. and he sings in blackface. And this is the thing that is the technological breakthrough. It's <laughs> Jolson singing this minstrel song, and... You know, this is the popular, this is like one of the pop culture things of the time. People who we consider white or look white today were not considered to be white 100 years ago. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the the Irish and the the Jews were not white in, even in America, Jews were not white you know, in the early 20th century and the late, they were not seen in the same it, racial right. prism as, like, wasps. Italians or, and, right. Well, like, uh, same with Italians right. and Irish. And, yeah. Right, and then we have this sort of formation of whiteness that is created in opposition to blackness in America, which is created out of the legacy of chattel slavery and which mm-hmm. is created out of this legacy of what is black in America versus in Europe. Mm-hmm. I was always very confused about the, like, Jews as a race in Europe. This was something my young mind could never really understand right. because I was so aware of what race meant in America. I took this class my freshman year of college that was called uh, Jews and Whiteness. Mm-hmm. And so we talked, we read a lot of great books, but we talked about this and... Um, the the act of putting on blackface mm-hmm. and then taking it off, the taking off of the blackface is the thing that helps make Al Jolson white mm-hmm. and then also, by extension, helps make me white. Mm-hmm. Because in America's version of this, in America's racial canon, America's racial hierarchy, right. which is based on different rules from the European one, which is because it's all made up, uh, is this idea that suddenly he puts on blackface and when he takes off blackface, he's whiter than he was before. Mm -hmm. So when he's the cantor at the temple before he goes to vaudeville and then he's not necessarily white and then he puts on blackface and he sings this American pop culture song that he is allowed to sing and able to sing and then at the end of the night he can take it off and he has this quote-unquote white skin underneath the blackface that he has put on. And that removal of blackface makes him more white because it separates him from this other, which is the character that he has performed in this vaudeville thing. And this is 
very complicated because yeah. this is a thing. I mean, I, the thing that just like really gets me like gets my fire going about this is that like this is such an important moment in American history. This right. is such an important pop culture moment for white supremacy. It's such an important pop culture moment for white Jewish people and other white people who are maybe not considered white at that time. And it's a musical. Yeah. Like we didn't say that musicals aren't important or musicals are just froth or music. I mean, this is a frothy musical. This is yeah. like a good time, like this Swanee River. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> and, but like this moment of this sort of carefree, like oh, the jazz scene. Like this is a seminal moment in some ways. Yeah. For where my whiteness comes from. Yeah. And a bunch of other people who made musicals after that as white people, right? right. Because if you think about all of the white Jewish men who are making musicals in the golden age or whatever, or right. making musicals today who are very solidly benefiting from white supremacy and who are very solidly like part of this white mm-hmm. man thing, their white manness to some extent is tied to this moment in musical theater history. And right. that's like, of course that matters. Of course that's super important. And of course that's this thing that we have to reckon with. But yeah. the thing that's exciting to me about it and the thing that I like love about musical theater and I'm like, oh, this is why musical theater is important is that if musical theater can make that, then I certainly have to believe that musical theater can break that. Right. Right? Like, we, yeah. we have an opportunity then. Because if this is the thing that it plays a part in making a thing, mm-hmm. So this is a suit like if there's some sort of superpower in musical theater that that impacts people when they see it to in their conscious yeah. or their subconscious or whatever to say this is a thing that exists now or this is part of the soup in my brain that makes me see Ella and Shoshana as white people now. Right. And I don't even necessarily know that, but that's like a thing that's contributed to the that moment. Then then what is the superpower? Like what what do we what do we fight it with? Right. We made it with musical theater, so maybe we can fight it with musical theater. And that's very exciting to me about musical theater yeah. and why I think and I think that it's part of the job of musical theater. I'm kind of like, all right, we have this tool, we know its power. Right. <laughs> how do we how do we harness the power of musical right. theater to do these things because we you know, we know it's there. We yeah. can't pretend it's not. Do you um see certain shows as like examples uh, after the jazz singer uh, of things that are supporting white the white supremacy or uh, breaking it? I mean, I think that most shows <laughs> are like supporting it whether they want to be or not, right. which is why I think, but I think it's because a lot of people aren't thinking about right right right. it's just becomes this second nature it becomes like innate in the thing that's being made is that it's like I don't have to think about that or I don't think about that and I think one of the things that creates that is that when you do like research on musical theater history or when you Mm -hmm. look at musical theater history and the narrative about musical theater history is divided weirdly into like the history of musicals and then like the history of black musicals as if these two things are different as right. if the history of American musical theater is this, like, one golden age developmental narrative thing that's, like, centered on whiteness, and then there's this yeah. other, like, history of musical theater that's, like, going along with it that's not right. as important and not as um, relevant and that's not canon or whatever, and yeah, that's black it's musical. Yeah, it's the black story. It's right. The, the, that's the, yeah, the black story. And um, it's just, musical history, right, yeah. just for black people, whereas this other thing is just for everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, that, to me, there's, like... There's just that's kind of how a lot of historians talk about it, right. and part of it is because they're talking about like certain 
formal developments that, um, you know, the people with power and in power and who are receiving the money and who are receiving the attention and receiving the critical acclaim then get credited for these formal developments. And right. then when we talk about history of a form, we talk about this, like, you know, this happened and then this happened. And, and, and I just think that we don't, but, but that's all happening together because yeah. it's not actually like, it's not actually like a secret stream or a secret extra place where black right. musicals are happening separate from <laughs> Golden Age. Like it's all happening yeah. together and artists are all seeing, you know, or being aware of what's going on or right. should be if they're not, but it's like all being created in the same space potentially of New, of New yeah. York, the places in New York. I mean, it, it feels like that's what's happening currently. It feels right. like if you're living it, it's like yeah. there's you know, all the musicals are in one season right. and... Right, and so I I think that um, well, I always talk about Mickey Grant and Don't Bother Me, I Can't mm-hmm. Cope because I just think that we talk about the concept musical mm-hmm. and we credit Sondheim and Prince with this thing with the concept musical. We talk about how there was Allegro and Sondheim mm-hmm. worked on that and yeah. then we've got this thing with the concept musical and this was like a new wave of musical theater right. and that's all like great. Like I love some of their concept musicals. I think they yeah. did a good job with it and maybe you know, they are certainly folks who were involved with advancing that, but you have right. Mickey Grant at the same time writing a brilliant, prescient, like, mm-hmm. contemporary concept musical right. called Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope that is not taught in the same breath as right. company. Right. And that's the thing that I like. Mm-hmm. That's what I think that, like, is, are there shows that are sort of unmaking this? Sure. Like, right. Don't bother me. I can't cope. Is unmaking this like it is mm-hmm. something that is, that is taking this form that has this history and, and trying to do something with it that, um, is telling stories of people who are not getting you know who are, yeah, uh, who not that it's not that they're not getting their stories. It's just telling a story of in the same way that like Tim's show that we're talking about is like telling a story right. of this moment of people who, uh, you know, deserve to be seen mm-hmm. and Mickey is. Grant in that moment is telling those stories of people yeah. who deserve like deserve to be seen and are there just like in society. It's not like oh, this is like hidden from society. These are people who yeah. exist in the world. And you're on the subway with you, right? <laughs> exactly. And like, who is the you? But again, the thing that's really complicated for me is like when you say that, like, who is the you? Yeah. Like, who are we assuming is the you who doesn't mm-hmm. see folks? Who are we assuming is the you who doesn't? Right. No, I'm talking from my perspective as like a person who needs to um you know who that's not my personal experience but when we talk about the you we are talking about white people usually and we're talking about Mm -hmm. white musical theater goers and so we're like centering that idea that there's and that's and that's why the history gets told that way because we're centering that that's who like right musical theater is for and Mm -hmm. then if we're like telling you a story you haven't heard before it's because we assume that you don't know any people of color and we assume that you don't have this experience as a viewer, as opposed right. to being like, this is your experience as a viewer of musical theater, and then you can go and not see things that are like you, as mm-hmm. opposed to having to constantly see things that are not like you. Right. I think that part of breaking down the creation of that you is saying, you are not the you. Right. Like, you, person who think that musical theater is just for you, or that you're like, I'm here to learn about the other, or I'm here right. to see my story reflected. It's like, actually, what if you went into a musical and you weren't the you? Right. And I think there are people who are working on writing musicals now where it's like you 
are not the you, but also the reality of who can afford tickets and right. who wants to go see theater and who is in the audience. If you want your show produced, if you want those people to see yeah. shows, then they have to be the you. And so that's right. part of like the deconstruction is how do we how do we look at that model where those things are contributing to the you being being these folks and then like so mm-hmm. everything is constructed from that lens. Right. What Al Jolson is doing in that moment by taking the blackface off is saying I'm not like this other person who cannot take this off. Yeah. And so it is very literally at the expense of somebody else that right. this thing is created. And so I'm like, how do I how do we reckon with that? I don't have an mm-hmm. answer to that. That's yeah. not like a thing where I'm like, and this is what we do. I very much am like, I don't know how to reckon with that. Yeah. I don't that is my struggle, and that yeah. is like my job, and that's my work to do right. is to is to reckon with it and to think about that every time I write something, and to think about yeah. that every time I think about writing something, and to think about that every time I see something, and to think about that every time it's my job or opportunity to give someone space. How do just people who are audience members? How do they reckon mm-hmm. with this, and what? How do they? What can they do? Right. Yeah. 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 Exactly. What do What do you do when you see? You know, especially if you've already spent the money, right? right you've already right, bought right. the ticket, and then you're sort of do you tell other people not to buy a right. ticket? But also, uh, yeah, I think that a really good example, and I think a lot about authorship, but a great example of that mm-hmm. audience thing is that when I saw Scottsboro Boys, mm-hmm. I thought that. It was really interesting because there's this character who's a white Jewish lawyer mm-hmm. who goes to be the lawyer for the Scottsboro Boys. And his song is, that's not the way we do things in New York. Mm-hmm. And he sings this whole song about how much better New York is with the punchline being, of course, that New York's no better at all. Right. That's not the way we do things in New York. My maid will tell you that. My, it's not <laughs> the way we do things in New York. You know, the right. all of the black folks who work for me will tell you that. Yeah. And... The audience was like cheering and whooping this idea that like that's right that's not the way we do things in New York right. and I was like but wait, did you what like yeah, this is yeah. not this is not saying good on you New Yorkers you're not as racist as the South right. but that felt like how it was taken by the audience that I was in I felt like yeah. they were like yes go us we're not racist yeah. and it's like no right. that's actually the exact opposite of what Scottsboro Boys was trying to do. And, say. and so what do you do about that, too? Yeah. Because here you have these white creators, mm-hmm. which, again, like, whether or not that's a show to be written. Like, I think that the reason, like, I think that it is, though, like, I felt, can like, I don't know, you know, I don't know them, and I yeah. don't know what they were trying to do, but it did feel like they were trying to use the tools that they had perfected in Cabaret and Chicago and this whole history of them writing musicals from through this lens yeah. to take a look at minstrelsy as a thing mm-hmm. and, to t- and and I do actually think that like white people it is like that kind of feels like our responsibility to take a look right. at minstrelsy as a thing and to take a look at how like what that you know what that it felt it felt appropriate to me in this yeah. way of like them using another standard of the American theater history as problematic as it is to be like this is really problematic right. and part of that was calling out themselves and their audience yeah. and it didn't feel like themselves and their audience understood the call out exactly uh-huh. um, And but that kind of leads into the thing that I was to say about authorship which is that I also think that like it's very hard 
when all the people, like, when so many of the people who are writing musicals are white. Right. It's like there has to be space for more folks to write musicals. Right. There has to be space for more voices to be heard so that so that things can be in conversation. Like, part of the deconstructing has got to be a conversation right. and an examination like that also gives space for other things and so I think that you can't have that con- white people can't have that conversation with ourselves right. so we can't possibly do it we can't possibly use musical theater to break this thing that we want to break if we're just taking it upon ourselves to be the ones who are doing it like there has to be so much room to have that be a part of a much mm. bigger conversation that opens up a lot of other doors I'm wondering like how musicals that are about race fit into this conversation, yeah. something like things like Ragtime or Carolina Change, well, like shows where like white and black cultures yeah. kind of butt up against each other. Yeah, I think again that has to do with this question of authorship. Mm-hmm. I wrote this. My thesis for my undergrad was race authorship in the Broadway musical in the 1990s. And I did a broad consideration of who might be an author because um, Mm -hmm. in a musical there's like many authorial voices, not just writers. And it's very very important to me as like a white person who wanted to write musicals to think about that. And I looked at Ragtime, the revival of Showboat Mm -hmm. um, that Hal Prince did, Jelly's Last Jam, and Bring the Noise, Bring the Funk. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to look at shows that had a spectrum of authors and like how successful they were engaging with the and they were engaging with topics of race and racism in yeah. the shows and then were also like the author's intention and then versus the impact of like putting certain things on stage. I think that's something that does a really good job of this and that like worked on all these meta levels with Shuffle Along. Mm-hmm. I was really, really into Shuffle Along, especially as like this musical theater nerd who studied like the right. history of musical theater. Shuffle Along is such an important moment in musical theater history. And, and you're then, talking about the the show the original well so i so the noble and sicil shuffle along from the early 1900s is an important moment in musical theater history and then also the recent shuffle along but the one that i'm talking about is kind of dealing with these questions is the recent like george c wolf shuffle along that was on broadway like in 2016 but this musical shuffle along which is looking at the creation of the original noble and sicil shuffle along Mm -hmm. and is looking and is like looking at the way, like this whole question of thing that we're talking about that history and about that yeah. siloing and about who is like, how, what is the status and like who employment mm-hmm. and the creation of like identity and also the formation of like class differences and all of this is like, it's a musical that's about that, but yeah. it's also a musical that recognizes its own moment. Yeah. And so when it talks to the audience in a certain way, it's talking to a white audience. Like, it knows that it's still talking to a white, even though they're, you know, the demographics of the particular audience are probably more, um, there are probably more black people at that show than at other potential Broadway shows for all of the reasons that make sense that that would be the case. It still is, like, a white Broadway audience. Yeah. What was so brilliant to me about Shuffle Along, the current musical version of it, was that it had a... It was, it was about this thing that had happened in the past and was like a history yeah. lesson. It sounds so boring, but like a history piece. But it also placed its own self in the narrative in a way. And yeah. then that super meta thing happened, which is that there's this part of Shuffle Along where they talk about how um, uh, the character that Audrey McDonald played 
or maybe it wasn't her character. Maybe I don't know. There's a star in Shuffle Along who basically works herself to death in Shuffle Along, the original. Mm-hmm. Um, when it goes to London and whatever, she's sick and she can't really. She should take time off and take care of herself, but she is the star. And if she stops, then the show will close. And if the show closes, all of these black folks will be out of work and she feels right. a responsibility and it's so rare t- for them to get work it's so rare mm-hmm. for black shows to have you know shows with black folks in them to have yeah. this um platform or to be you know running that right. she feels a responsibility to stay in the show to keep it open and it has a huge detrimental fact on, on her health yeah. and then what happens with shuffle along Audrey McDonald gets pregnant Mm-hmm. They close the show. Right. They say that part of it is because they can't keep it open without her, which doesn't make a lot of sense because there was this like planned absence she was gonna have anyway. So like, right. like well, there was something there that didn't like make a ton of sense to the casual observer. But you know, who are we to know? Whatever. Yeah. But the point of it being that narrative, right? That narrative of like, regardless of what the real story is, the narrative that one of the most famous women in musical theater, Mm -hmm. leading star of musical theater, takes, is going to not be in this show for something that has to do with her health or her personal body that is separate from all of the, you know, all of the production and finance in a show that's about, like, someone who didn't do that and, like, worked themselves to death. She doesn't do that as she should not. Right. Right. And then the show, the white producers say the show is closing because she has done, not done it. And it fulfills this prophecy that's written into the show, yeah. and it, like, makes the show even more... And this is, like, my favorite thing about political musicals, when the thing that they are about mm-hmm. becomes, like, a real-life thing that yeah. gets baked into the story, like the thing that happened with Indecent, mm. where Indecent didn't close. It yeah. was supposed to close, and then it kept not closing on Broadway because yeah. people were like, we don't want... And that that is about a show that, like, manages to persist throughout right like right. indecent is about a show that stays alive against all odds and despite yeah. all of these things trying to kill it and the people who make it and then here is a show that literally in real time is staying alive on broadway because right. like it, it like the thing that it's about is the thing that's happening and that's also like cradle will rock mm-hmm. these are like my favorite kinds of musicals where the thing that the show is about becomes a thing that is happening in real life that yeah. allows us to like uh, understands that it would be part of like a political right. moment and that happens with Shuffle Along like not in a great way right but it allows us to talk about it which is that yeah. this is this fulfilled prophecy of like th- the star for her own physical health yeah. is not going to continue with the show for a period of time and that right. that does cause this thing that is uh, important and about and, and employing people and all of this stuff to no yeah. longer exist and that somehow that's her fault and like I don't think that anybody was like this is Audrey McDonald's fault but like it was framed that way it's framed but like you know I don't think that anybody who's really like you know I think that people were frustrated by that framing so I'm not saying that people like bought that framing but that but then it's like and then what is the burden that we put on women what is the burden that we put on black women as like caretakers of all of society Mm -hmm. like that becomes really relevant right like it's your responsibility to keep all these people People, right and that it's somehow not the fault of the like people with the actual power and money who are white men usually to like solve problems and do that too like because problems that all shows run into that have a star and so then the question was, like, how do we look at art that, like, helps unmake a narrative? Or how do we look at mm-hmm. art that exposes art that exposes uh, 
the creation of white supremacy baked into the making of the art and right. tries to deconstruct it. And I do think that Shuffle Along is a show that was doing that, trying to do that. We have our Why Is This So Good section, uh, where we're going to talk about the song The Night That Goldman Spoke at Union Square. And this is from the musical Ragtime. And why did you pick this song for Why Is This So Good? Well, I'll preface based on the Oscar that Ragtime is like a problematic fave for me. Mm -hmm. Like, I understand lots of reasons why it's like a problem. But that's not what this section is about. And this song, I mean... Number one, Emma Goldman, personal hero of mine, yeah. featured in two musicals, Life Goals. Two Broadway musicals, I should say. Mm-hmm. Featured in two Broadway musicals. She's in Assassins, and she's also in this musical. She may be in others, but those are the two that come the to big mind ones, for me. Yeah. And she, in both, radicalizes people, because mm-hmm. that's what Emma Goldman does, right? She radicalizes yeah. people. And what I prefer about this one is that in Assassins, she radicalizes somebody to shoot a president. But in right. this one, she radicalizes a bourgeois white guy to like join the revolution. Yeah. And it is like like not only is it a call to action to younger brother to like mm-hmm. leave his you know, his bourgeois, his poor young bourgeois and like come to Emma and be taught about things that you'll never you've never thought. It's also like a call to all of us, yeah. perhaps. Like it's again that thing where it like does the thing in the musical, but also perhaps is Emma Goldman calling all of us right. to think of the people feathered and tarred, the unions broken and why for. I mean unions mm-hmm. broken and why for is still very relevant today. Children laboring, yeah. women still enslaved. These are all things that are completely relevant to the moment, not mm-hmm. just then when Emma Goldman was singing about them and like this idea leave your little backyard my friend there are causes to die for like like that is something that I like particularly when I was like 12 and like yeah. burgeoning re- revolutionary whatever it was <laughs> like yeah Emma like right. yeah. and it's a woman and it's this like as a, it's like this queer Jewish woman like mm-hmm. you know changing hearts and minds through the power of song so right. like what isn't good about that? I yeah, love it. Yeah. Plus, the lyric is fantastic. Like, mm-hmm. there's just the way that it's set, the night that Goldman spoke at Union Square is so unwieldy, but yeah. like, just it's like set beautifully so it doesn't feel unwieldy. And just like the picture it creates of this mm-hmm. moment. Uh, and then those lyrics that I mentioned. I mean, it's just, I like yeah. the, you know, I like the, the structure of it. Uh, that it, like, you know, it does the AABA thing. It comes back to the, he was calling out her name. But really also, like, the image of a firework unexploded, wanting life but never knowing how. Mm. That it, like, harkens to the fact that he's a fireworks builder. But right. also is, like, such a great image of just, like, anybody who's young and is, like, how do I make my life matter? But also is, like, about a political. Right. Like, like so much is packed into two lines. So that's really awesome. Yeah. Yeah, um, I remember when I first heard this, this was my first introduction to Union Square. Like, I didn't uh, know it as a yeah. place before that. Yeah. So then when I, um, like, moved to New York a few years at, later after hearing the song and seeing the show, and I, like, saw the actual Union Square, I was very confused as to why there wasn't, like, political activity going on sure. <laughs> in Union yeah. Square at that moment. I mean, sometimes there is. Why but Emma <laughs> Goldman wasn't shouting striking. Yeah, yet. I was like, oh, this is where they gathered, and now it's a, a park with a swing set and yeah. <laughs> rats running around. But, yeah, um, yeah no, I um, I love just going back to musically, just the, the, A's, the verses, the A's, the 
the uh, how beautifully it's set and yeah. the part where it goes up, it yeah. like leaps up. Mm-hmm. Um, the night the the line right before the the hook, the night mm-hmm. that Golden spoke at Union Square. It's mm-hmm. just like it's just like you like leap up with right. it. <laughs> and there's such an energy to it that yeah. feels like a political. You know, it's it feels like yeah. it's like it's driving, 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 and then it kind of um, yeah. It, and, and it also, I mean, I picked this one, but I wrote, like, two other songs from Ragtime that I was thinking about. Mm-hmm. But I picked this one because it, like, gives you an opportunity to, like, it foreshadows and makes you think about, like, the other song that they're in, Younger yeah. Brother, Emma, is um, He Wanted to Say. Right. Those are, like, and very much companion Yeah, they're pieces. companion yeah. pieces, and it kind of calls out to what's going to come with that. And yeah. so that's one of my favorite songs in Ragtime is the mm-hmm. He Wanted to Say song, and it's kind of set up here. So that's, like, right. some foreshadowing. And then another one of my favorite songs from Ragtime is Back to before, mm-hmm. which is for his sister, yeah. mother, um, which is like her political awakening. So it's like these songs about these po- people's political right. awakenings that uh, are kind of all tied together in this show. But this one's like so explicit. I yeah. also like really appreciate, I mean, they're talking about workers on strike. They're talking about, you know, children dying and they're, you know, we can't, you know, the land of opportunity for all people, not just the owners, like that language yeah. just is something that I want to hear yeah. in a musical and I want to hear. And like it, it just feels like, uh, like it feels much more like Emma Goldman gets to be mm-hmm. Emma Goldman, whereas yeah. in like Assassins, like not to, right. not to, I love Assassins. I love her in Assassin. But like, just the thing where it's like talk, it's like this idea that, I mean, also this idea that words mm-hmm. are what is needed. And yeah. that, you can, that you can sing to somebody, the power of yeah. singing to somebody mm-hmm. and it bringing them into the fold. Yeah. And that that's, you know, that's what ragtime ultimately ends up being about, words over violence, making mm-hmm. them hear you is like, usually yeah, tell the story. Music over right. violence. Right. Yeah. Tell the story. And like that, you know, I have complicated thoughts about that the narrative of ragtime now yeah. and like whether or not like you know there's a lot of questions about like that ultimate ending yeah but that said like if you're thinking about the like power of the pen if yeah. you're thinking about the power of telling a story as a political tool yeah. if you're thinking about the way that we use narrative to like mm-hmm. bring people into the cause and get them fired up about like defending the union or defending workers rights this song is that it's yeah. like using your story it's like her using song and story to like bring somebody into the fold yeah. and I love it I have just returned from Lawrence Massachusetts where eight weeks ago the workers there went on strike they are starving their children are dying but they are holding firm and we must support them It was winter in New York as the snow began to fall And the workman's hall had not a seat to spare When a young man ducked inside just to warm himself was all The night that Goldman spoke at Union Square What is happening in Lawrence is happening everywhere Let us at last make this the land of opportunity for all people, not just the owners the land of opportunity for Tata and this little girl. We cannot rest. She was speaking loud and fast through a haze of noise and heat and the smell of sweat and anger in the air. The police were standing by, but the crowd was on its feet. The night that Goldman spoke 
at Union Square. You! He thought he heard her say, What brings you here today? Boy, you're the rich boy. Masturbates for a vaudeville tart. What a waste of a fiery heart, dear. He thought she said, Boy, you're bourgeois. There are things that you've never thought. Come to Emma and you'll be taught here. His head was spinning. People feathered and taunt, my friend. Union's broken and To find some meaning Strike! in the arms of fallen women, in the thought of suicide. Strike! Like a firework unexploded, wanting life but never knowing how. Oh, my brother, life has meaning. I'll show you how. Yeah, one thing I, when I um, was listening to both this and he wanted to say, just how much um, of their relationship is imagined. Yeah. Which is so cool because, yeah. like, I don't, I, at least in the lyric, I don't remember in the book if they actually, uh, in the scenes, if they actually do talk or, you know, and it doesn't even matter, but. It's all in his head, I Yeah, think. it's yeah. like such a imagined but yet strong relationship. Mm-hmm. Like in this song, um, you know, he's got his, he thought he heard her say. Yeah. Um, what brings you here today? You know, it's like, this is, this is not actually being said. Right, he hears the call from her, yeah. and it's his mind is able to take what she's saying and apply it to him. Right. And then, you know, the show ends, he goes off and he's like a Zapata. Like, he mm-hmm. doesn't go back. Yeah. You know, Mother we can never go back to before. He doesn't. He doesn't right. become unradicalized. He, like... Yeah. And, like, I don't know, there's, like, obviously, like, all sorts of things about this, but there's something inspiring about the idea of, like radicalizing the bourgeoisie to yeah. like join the struggle of the workers. Right. And that like the power of words can do that and that Emma Goldman can do that and that a song can do mm-hmm. that. And uh, you know, I don't think that's what ragtime is trying to do. Like I don't actually think yeah. that ragtime the musical is trying to like get the audience to like Right. It's not one of those meta like right. the political thing isn't then happening. Yeah, <laughs> right. People aren't walking out of ragtime being like, I'm gonna go like walk on a picket line with people. Right. But this song feels like it could be, or yeah. it feels like, like that's a thing that, that someone could be inspired to do, that someone mm-hmm. could be inspired to stand on a chair and with a heart as clean and new as the freshly fallen snow, right. you know, and, and call her name and like, and like, you know, there's something, I think he's being a little bit, you know, he's shouting what he did not know. So like, mm-hmm. he's getting swept up in it and we know that younger brother, that character gets swept up in things. Yeah. But I just think that this idea I mean, that life has meaning, you know? Yeah. Uh, life has, and that, that meaning is a political solidarity and yeah. a political purpose. That speaks to me, too, that life's meaning. You find meaning in fellowship mm-hmm. with other people. I also love how, back to Union Square, like, the whole, the hook, the line that keeps coming back is the place. The yeah. place of the gathering. The yeah. place where he, they converge and meet. Right. Because they're not real, they're not talking, right? Except in his imagination, but they're yeah. in the same place, and that's what's important. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap us up on a, on a real uh, like a real cheesy note about that, yeah. and like that's like what's important about theater, right? Mm-hmm. Because in theater, yeah, we're coming to a place, right? And like theater is Union Square, right? Mm-hmm. Like theater is the place that we go to, like, and and yeah. theater is a thing that makes us go to a place, like right? Especially now, there's so many 
things that you can do without going to a specific place. Yeah. So much can be done remotely, but going to the theater right. is going to a place. And that's where the unexpected happens. Yeah. Anytime you're in a place that's not your comfort place. You know. And where somebody's talking to you, mm-hmm. right? And that's why I said that all theater is political, because you're going to a place and somebody's telling you something. And what we as creators choose to tell you mm-hmm matters yeah but also like as an audience like you've shown up because you want to be you want to receive something right and like that's like this song like you said like the place like it's about gathering a space with your fellow humans and receiving Mm -hmm. something yeah and that that in this case is this political awakening and it works yeah that he's like just wandering the street and he's drawn in by being in a space with other humans to like fight for something yeah worthwhile he was calling out her name shouting what he did not know and he found that he was standing on a chair with a heart as clean and new as the freshly fallen snow the night that goldman spoke I've been waiting for you at Union Square. The final section, something wonderful, where we just mention, give a shout out to uh, something in musical theater that we're excited about or that we've seen recently that we want to just, you know, again, Hmm. give a shout out to. We've talked a lot about A Strange Loop on here, but I'm finally very close to actually going to see it, so that's very exciting. Finally reading um, the Follies book, Everything uh, Everything Was Possible, that came out when I was in college, and I bought it when I was in college, and I'm and back in 2002, and I'm just reading it now. Um, definitely a really good read, if you haven't read it yet, like me. Um, this is a self plug kind of, yeah. but it doesn't have. To, it's not really. I'm like excited for the Encore's Off Center yeah. season that's coming mm-hmm. up. Like working directed by Andy Kaufman, I'm really excited yeah. to see that. And that's like I said, personal plug because I'm writing the Civilians Lobby project that's happening before. So I've got to do interview people with the civilians yeah. who have been involved with working or the creation of this. And so, you know, that is exciting to yeah. um, to like get to see that. And then also, as I mentioned promenade to get yeah. to see promenade so these yeah. are two things that i'm excited about getting right. to experience in the yeah. musical theater uh world in the next like month thank you all for listening to this episode of scene to song please write to scene to song at gmail.com at any time with a comment or question about an episode or about musical theater or if you'd like to be a podcast guest. Scene to Song is now on Instagram at Scene to Song. You can also follow Scene to Song on Twitter at Scene Song, as well as on Facebook at Scene to Song with Shoshana Greenberg Podcast. And be sure to rate us on iTunes, review, subscribe, and share it with your friends. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald. And check back here in two weeks for our next episode.